So here we go. Ephesians 5, 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Ecclesiastes 3.1 There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Sugar, why don't you sit down by the table and we'll start supper, said Dorothy to her husband of 50 years. Sure thing, said her husband, sitting himself down. Now, darling, would you like the soup first or the salad? Questioned Dorothy. Mm, I, I guess I'll take the soup, he responded. After a whole meal of one endearing term after another, their guest Bob couldn't contain his curiosity any longer, so he followed Dorothy into the kitchen and he asked her, Dorothy, do you always talk to your husband like that? So Bob, I'll be honest with you, Dorothy replied. It's been five years now. I just can't remember his name and I'm too embarrassed to ask him. (laughs) There comes a time when you have to face the reality. I'm not as sharp as I used to be. Not that my mind ever won any prizes. But it seems there are these little connecting wires up there that disconnect more frequently than they used to. Just a line to say I'm living, that I'm not among the dead, though I'm getting more forgetful and more mixed up in my head. For sometimes I don't remember when I'm standing at the stairs if I must go up for something or if I've just come down from there. And before the fridge, so often my poor mind is filled with doubt. Have I just put food away or have I come to take some out? There's times when it gets dark and my nightcap's on my head and I don't know if I'm retiring or just getting out of bed. So if it's, my, if it's my turn to write you, there's no need in getting sore. I may think that I've written and don't want to be a bore. So remember, I do love you and I do wish you were here. But now it's nearly mail time, so I must say goodbye, my dear. There I stood beside the mailbox with a face so very red. Instead of mailing you my letter, I had opened it instead. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's not just the mind. There comes a time when you have to face the reality. The body doesn't cooperate like it used to. And the classic words made famous on hee-haw. That was a TV program in the good old days. You took off your peg leg, your wig, and your glass eye. You put your false teeth in a jar by the door. I wanted to hug and hold you, my darling. But you were scattered all over the floor. (laughs) So in reflecting about this retirement thing and Realizing that somehow the days have slipped by one at a time and now here I am 
the age of 65 with 40 years of active ministry in my belt and trying to figure out what do you say when you're heading out the exit door? So let me just briefly share my journey with you, okay? I was born at an early age, the middle child of five kids. So I get to blame all of my insecurities and personality disorders on the middle child syndrome. My dad was an eternal optimist. Mom was the forever pessimist. That made for an interesting environment to grow up in. We lived on a ranch. And many times when we drove up our drive, Mom would say, Harold, I think that bull's dead. Now Gladys, he's not. He's just lying in the sun. He's enjoying a nap. Yeah, but look how his feet are sticking up. (laughs) Well, if he's dead, there's nothing we can do about it. And if he's resting, why bother him? Many afternoon siestas were interrupted by mom's stubborn pessimism. (laughs) We grew up in church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We piled into our old station wagon and stopped to pick up my grandparents and the nine of us Traveled the 25 miles to the Nazarene Church in North Platte. It was, it was a good church. Had many faithful people and solid families living out their faith. We had consistent pastors. Actually, only two during my growing up years. George Morey was there for 17 years. And Ed Johnson was there for nine. And, and I'm sure there were problems. Dad was on the church board and the school board for many years. But if he knew the negative stuff, it was never discussed with us. My grandparents on both sides were saved in revival meetings when they were young couples. They were not churchgoers. A revival was held in a little country schoolhouse in the Sandhills. Harry and Minnie went because it presented a rare social opportunity that brought people together from the sparsely populated sandhills. On the way home, Grandpa told Grandma, I don't know who talked to that preacher about me, but I'm going to find him tomorrow and give him a good licking for talking about me in front of all those people. Of course, the Holy Spirit was convicting him of his sin and The next day he was mowing hay with a team of horses when something spooked them and he he fell off the seed. He landed in such a way that the sharp blade of the sickle bar was right under him and he prayed, Lord, if you will get me out of this mess, I'll go to that meeting tonight and give my life over to you. And immediately the horses slowed down and stopped. And true to his word, Harry and Minnie Sucra went forward and gave their lives to Christ. And I have wondered so many times, where would I be today if that hadn't happened? Because when they got in, they got in all the way. And my mom's parents were kind of the same way. It was just a revival out in the middle of nowhere that they just went and found the Lord. I do not remember the first time that I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and come into my life. But when I was 14, at a morning service at teen camp, by the way, that's why I'm sold on teen camp. 
The preacher talked about coming to a place in our lives where we say a complete yes to God and we surrender our whole life to Him. As I recall, it was not a very emotional service. Only a few came forward. But one shy Nebraska farm boy came to an agreement with God that day. If I understood it right, I could give all of myself to Him and He would give all of Himself to me. That looked like a good deal any way you looked at it. It was not a hard decision because I knew God wasn't getting much. I've always struggled with low self-esteem, the middle child syndrome, you know. But I got up from that altar with the deep peace of a settled commitment. And that agreement that I made with God has held me for over 50 years. Do you suppose as we get older, it's a bigger struggle to give everything over to God because we're afraid of what we might have to give up or Or maybe it's a control thing. We're just used to being in control. And letting him have the steering wheel means I have to let go of it. And I have to confess there have been many times, like every day, when I have to make sure that I'm still holding up my part of the agreement. Well, when I was in college... I went through a time of darkness and doubt. It seemed like God had turned the light out and left the room. And this, this, this heavy weight was just hanging in my chest. And I had always heard that God works with us in specifics. And He will clearly point out what we need to deal with. But I couldn't think of any unconfessed sin. And one night I remember lying on the floor of the, of the dorm prayer room and telling God, I don't care if you don't like me. I don't even care if you don't want me. You are stuck with me. And that might have been a foolish prayer, but at least it was an honest one. And, and not long after that, it was like he took his big scissors and just... Cut that weight loose. And the peace and the assurance came back. And here's what I realized. He was weaning me from an emotional dependence on him. So that he could bring me to a deeper faith that trusts no matter what I feel. Does that make sense? Well, moving on. Leah and I got acquainted in college, traveling together in a group called Circuit Riders. By the way, one of my good friends from Circuit Riders is Adam's father-in-law, and they were here this morning. We didn't date until I was in my last year of seminary. She had gone back to St. Louis to to teach. Then she got a job at the Nazarene Publishing House and moved back to Olathe. We got married in St. Louis on May the 21st. We came back to Kansas City for seminary graduation. We took her folks' pop-up camper on a honeymoon to the Ozarks. And then we packed up all of our belongings 
and moved to North Platte, Nebraska, where we were children's and youth pastor. Here's one of my life regrets. I was so ignorant of my wife's needs. I was back home ready to do ministry and change the world. She was in a foreign country. As a city girl from St. Louis, she didn't touch a cow until she was in college. And she was so homesick and I didn't know what to do to help her. So I went to work. The big event on the ranch was our yearly bull sale. So in all the excitement, my wife and I went to the ranch to help get ready. We took on the task of scrubbing last year's manure off the sale ring. Much later, she confessed how mad she was. I don't know how we survived those early years, but in spite of how lonely she felt, she has always worked tirelessly in the church alongside of me. In fact, in North Platte, she handled two children's churches while I just did one, plus all the teen activities that we did together. We would go weeks at a time without a night at home. And Jamie was born while we were there. and That was a good thing because at least she could focus on him instead of her thoughtless husband. Well, after two years... We moved to Neosho, Missouri, and they were a a wonderful group of people, and we had a good ministry there for four years, and Beth was born while we were there. And then we got a call from the district superintendent asking us if we would be willing to let our names be considered for the Pittsburgh church. All I knew about Pittsburgh was that they had just voted out their pastor. And I had vocally stated my opinion that a person would have to be crazy to go there. (laughs) And when that call came, both of us felt the same thing. Oh no. (laughs) And Leah said, you might as well go get some boxes so we can start packing. For the first two years, it, it almost seemed like God kept visitors away so the church could heal. And it began to happen. God began to heal the hurts and to reconcile the people. And forgiveness and grace and love began to flow again. We knew that we needed to become a, a family-friendly church. So plans were made for our first edition, a family life center, which is the area where the children's church is now. Just as we got the foundation laid, five of our regular faithful giving families moved away. They weren't mad, they just got jobs somewhere else. And for the first time in my ministry, I had to go to our district assembly and confess that we were not able to pay all of our church obligations. And I took that very personally. And looking back, 
I, I think I went into some depression. And I went on a trip by myself to see my mom and my family in Nebraska. And I'll never forget as I traveled along, the Lord did some talking very, very clearly. And he said, well, maybe it's time you gave the church back to me. So I did. And the peace came back and the sun came out. And I think I can say, I haven't fallen into that trap again. Tempted maybe, but reminded often, it's not my church. You know what happened? One Sunday morning, a whole group of people looking for a church walked in, including the suitors and the Terrys and the Hartogs. The financial loss and the leadership gap were soon filled. And if you look at the statistics, those steps of faith were the springboard to new growth. We hired our first full-time youth pastor, Mike Watch, and the church began to reach new people. So here's some personal observations. I am a people pleaser with a need to be needed. One of my hardest battles in recent years has been to let God's Holy Spirit show me my motives. Now let me be honest now. How much of my ministry has been motivated by my desire to please people and take the applause that only belongs to God. I don't like what goes on in my thinking at times. And I have to fight hard to get my focus off self and glorify Christ. I wish He would yank that out of me, but I don't think He's going to. I think maybe it's kind of like the children of Israel when they took over the land of Canaan, but they didn't get rid of all the people and their idols. Judges 2.21, God says, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. It seems like God sometimes leaves a gymnasium where we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I wish I was as spiritual as I used to think I was. I know I'm not a phony. I think I'm more honest. And I'm certainly more aware of how Desperately dependent I am on the Holy Spirit to form the Spirit of Christ in me. Does that make sense? Here's the big thing that I'm learning God can be trusted. No, no, I really mean that. He can be trusted. Any time, all the time, with everything. His love is enduring. How many times does, does the Bible say that? 
I'm just starting to believe it. Romans 8.38 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His grace is sufficient. Yeah, for everything. For the good times, the bad times, the sorrows and the losses, when nothing is making sense, we can dive into the pool of God's grace and live there. 2 Corinthians 12.9 My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's it. It's not self-sufficiency, but spirit-sufficiency. His forgiveness is complete. How I wish we would believe that one. When we receive God's forgiveness, Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. It cost God a lot to pull it off. The death of His Son Jesus, taking on Himself the punishment we deserved. But He did it. His hope is forever. I don't need to tell you this. Our world is living in a hope drought. There is so much fear and hatred and mistrust and confusion. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Listen. If you take the resurrection of Jesus out of the, out of the equation... We don't even have a good social club. But factor the resurrection in. And we have the hope of heaven. And a forever with Christ. I love this. <laughs> Let that sink in. Don't miss God's opportunities. I believe our church is poised for its most productive days to win our community for Jesus Christ. If you have been sidelined in your spiritual journey, find out what God's will is for your life and then go for it with everything in you. How do you discover God's purposes? Ask Him. Seek Him. He says in Jeremiah 29, 13, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your hearts. And please, pray for the staff and pray for their families. Pray for their kids. 
I don't know what our family would have done. The people in the church had not prayed for us. Here's, here's what I'm totally convinced of. If I have been able to live a life of character and integrity, it is because of your prayers. I hope you won't cross my family off your prayer list. But please, be faithful to pray for the team that God has put together here. Satan's delight would be to derail them. I hope my epitaph can read, he didn't mess things up too badly. (laughs) Support this team. Support them when they take time to care for their families. Be part of the encouragers not the discouragers. And ask the praise team if they will come back and lead us in another song of worship. And here's what I want, want it to happen. I want each of us to just be able to pray, Lord, you can have it all. I'm telling you what, that is a safe prayer. A little risky, but safe. I'm just giving you everything. And looking back, you know, I can see the markers in the past where God came through and answered. The trouble is we don't see those as we're looking forward. All we can see is a wide open road and there's no markers. But I'm telling you what, God can be trusted. And I hope today, if your trust level has kind of diminished, that you'll just come back into an agreement with Him and say, God, you and I, we're doing this together. I'm going to trust you. Oh, Lord, today, somehow, someway, get a hold of us deep inside. All of us are just cramming our lives with so much. And it leaves us tired and it leaves us stressed. And I think, I think you want to do better for us. But we have to let you. And in this moment today, I guess my appeal to, to you and to the people and all of us would be, God, you take over Everything. Parts I don't understand about myself. Parts I don't understand about other people. Lord, you just be in control. Help us, God, to be able to do that today. In Jesus' name. We just stand. Let's worship together. Here's my parting bit of wisdom. On the first day, God created the dog and said, Sit all day on the front porch of your house and bark at anyone who comes in or walks past. For this I will give you a lifespan of 20 years. The dog said, That's a long time to be barking. How about only 10 years and I'll give you back the other 10? And God said that it was good. On the second day, God created the monkey and said, Entertain people, do tricks and make them laugh. For this I'll give you a 20-year lifespan. And the monkey said, monkey tricks for 20 years? That's a pretty long time to perform. 
How about I give you back ten like the dog did? And God again said that then it was good. On the third day, God created the cow and said, You must go into the field with the farmer all day and suffer under the sun and have calves and give milk to support the farmer's family. For this I will give you a lifespan of 60 years. And the cow said, That's kind of hard to want me to live for 60 years. How about 20 and I'll give back the other 40? And God agreed it was good. On the fourth day, God created humans and said, Eat, sleep, play, marry, and enjoy your life. For this I'll give you 20 years. But the human said, Only 20 years? Could you possibly give me my 20? The 40 the cow gave back. The 10 the monkey gave back. And the 10 the dog gave back. That makes 80, okay? Okay, said God, you asked for it. (laughs) So that is why for our first 20 years... We eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. For the next 40 years, we slave in the sun to support our family. For the next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain our grandchildren. (laughs) And for the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and bark at everyone. (laughs) 